All right, so we are going to continue in our series here. It's called Discipleship Equipped. This season, this whole summer here, we are aiming to equip all of you as ministers, according to Ephesians 4, God gave as gifts to the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. All Christians are saints. Therefore, you are the ministry workers, every Christian. We, as pastors, teachers, shepherds, speaking prophetically as we speak God's word from his word, as evangelists, do the work of an evangelist, preach the word, Paul says to Timothy. We are equipping you to do ministry. And so that's what this summer, this season is about. Tonight, you guys land on catechism. Now, this is perfect for Father's Day because fathers are charged with the task of discipling the home, especially the children. They are the heads of the home, as we will see in just a moment. But catechism, as we will see, is not just for children. It's for all Christians. So we're going to look at discipleship by catechism in five quick parts. One, what is a catechism? Two, why is catechism important? Three, why adults and children should practice uh, catechism? Why fathers should lead in catechism? And fifthly, the gospel is central to our catechizing. So number one, what is a catechism? Well, it comes from the Greek word katechin, which means to teach orally or to instruct by word of mouth. So to catechize is to instruct orally and it's by repetition, by asking questions. The dictionary would say it's an elementary book containing a summary of the principles of the Christian religion. By elementary, what is meant by first things or most important, not like simple. First importance, first things, foundational. Especially as maintained by a particular church in the form of questions and answers. The most famous reformed catechisms are these. The Westminster Larger and Shorter Catechism, the Heidelberg Catechism, and Calvin's Geneva Catechism. Now, good news for you, those three most famous reformed catechisms and confessions have been crunched down into a new catechism called the New City Catechism put out by Crossway, put out by the Gospel Coalition, put out by Tim Keller and Redeemer Presbyterian Church. We as a church have been pushing the New City Catechism since the beginning of the church. And if you haven't noticed, we have print copies available back on the Connect table for you. Uh, but there's going to be a gift coming to all the fathers and all the men 18 and above tonight, uh, including the New City Catechism. So for Father's Day... We want to encourage all the men and all of the men who will have spiritual children in this catechizing discipleship method. Now, let me ask a question. How many of you were catechized as a child? One. One? One. Okay. I was not either. Like, catechism was for Catholics. And even someone last week when I said, hey, we're going to do catechism, they came up to me, they're like, Catechism is for Catholics. What are you, Catholic? No, we're not. The Reformed tradition has a rich catechizing tradition, and we fall in that stream. 
And so for most of us, this is foreign. This is another language. Uh, we have one brother here who this is normal for him. He's the only one, unless some of you are lying. Now's your chance to repent and, and confess. Anyone lying? One. You were lying the whole time. Wow. Was anyone Catholic in catechizes? Okay, so come on. Leaving this brother hanging, man. Okay, so for some of us, most of us, catechism or being catechized was foreign. And so I, I did not just, as a new Christian, think, oh, I should catechize. Or even as a new father, think, oh yeah, we're definitely doing catechism with my young daughter. It, it didn't occur to me because it was never modeled for me and it was never done to me. That's not to disrespect my father. My father took me to Sunday school every Sunday morning. Then we did worship gathering, and inside the worship gathering, the children went to children's church, which just kind of happened there. We went to Sunday evening church, and then we did youth group on Wednesdays. And that's not to mention all of the Bible reading and all of the songs and the Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, all through my childhood. But my father, uh, though Catholic and though catechized as a Catholic, did not practice catechism in our home. And so it was foreign to me. I didn't even imagine it. So I feel you tonight if you're with me. So why is it important? That's the next question we have to ask. Here's why it's important. Memorization leading to meditation leading to motivation. Motivation being the most important at the end. Memorization leading to meditation flowing into motivation. Motivation for what? For keeping the commands of God. Because Jesus himself said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. And as we've said, listen, it's not that we should think to ourselves, oh my gosh, I don't love Jesus because I'm not keeping his commands. That's not the point of that passage because love for Jesus motivates the keeping of commands. So what should we focus on? Keeping commands or loving Jesus? Loving Jesus more. Because as we love him, motivation, we will want to, desire to keep his commands. You see, our focus is the loving of God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love our neighbor as ourselves. And as we increase in our love for God and Jesus, the keeping of commands will flow from it. Don't get it backwards. Don't get it backwards. So, memorization to meditation flowing to motivation. Now, you guys know this passage, I'm sure, but we need to talk about it real quick. So now we're talking about why is catechism important? The Israelites have made it out of Egypt. There was an exodus. In other words, God saved them already. And then after salvation, he says, now, here's some commands that I want you to keep. I want you to reflect my character. I want you to treat each other with dignity and love and respect. But listen, we need, when we talk about the law of God, we need to remember that God saves first. Then we are expected to keep commands. Why? Because we love God. Salvation comes first, then the keeping of commands comes second, and only empowered by God himself. The strength to follow your commands could only come from you. We sing it all the time. So, the Shema, which in Hebrew means hear. Verse 4 of Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, before we move past that, I want to comment on it. 
Uh, as I said, it's Hebrew for here, and John MacArthur brilliantly notes this. The intent of these words was to give a clear statement of the truth of monotheism, one God. Monotheism, one God. That there is only one God. However, the word used for one in this passage does not mean singleness, but unity. Not singleness, but unity. The same word is used in Genesis 2.24, where the husband and wife are said to become one flesh. Two become one. A trinity, a three as one. Thus, while the verse was intended as a clear and concise statement of monotheism, it does not exclude the concept of the trinity. So we can see the trinity in this sense. Three in one sense, one in another sense. Not three in one in the same sense. That would be ridiculous. Just as husband and wife united one flesh, church, many people, but one church, many people, one bride of Christ, same concept. One in one sense, three or many in another. Now, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Uh, or, uh, as Jesus repeated it in the New Testament, the greatest command. And then Jesus adds to it, and love your neighbor as yourself, which is the law and the prophets. In other words, the entire Old Testament is summed up in this verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. That would be strength. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Now, we need to stop for a minute. Because heart means this. It's the motivation mechanism of the you. It's the seat of the mind, emotions, and will. It's not your emotions only, though included in heart is the emotions. Listen, your desires flow from your heart. Your worship flows from your heart. Your wants, the why you do what you do and the why you don't do what you do is all connected to the heart. And here we're told that these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Like, how do we do that? Well, I'm going to argue through catechism is one way. By memorizing, by meditating, and then it flows into, with prayer, the motivations or the heart. You see, love for God in verse 5 is expressed by the words following in verse 6. Look, commands and laws. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. So love for God in verse 5 is expressed by keeping commands from the heart in verse 6. You see that? You see the connection? The love for God is the expression is expressed by the keeping of commands from the heart. And from the heart is really important because many Pharisees and scribes and religious leaders and rabbis were keeping outwardly commands, tithing mint and cumin and dill and keeping externally all kinds of laws. But it wasn't from the heart. You'll remember Jesus said, from the heart flows all the issues of life. And so how has God loved us? That's the question we need to ask. Because we learn from the New Testament that we only love Him. Why? Because He first loved us. He first loved us. 
So how did he first love us? Well, we learned from probably the most famous verse in the whole Bible, John 3.16, that for God so loved the world that he, what? Gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And so the more we realize what God has done for us, he has loved us enough. The Father, Son, and Spirit. The Father sends the Son to take care of everything we need, living perfectly in our place. I didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. Pleasing to the Father. He said this, I never say anything I don't hear the Father saying. I never do anything I don't see the Father doing. I and the Father are one. Not as in I am the Father and the Father is me, yet we are so unified. We're like a one, a trinity. And we know that Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit, enabled to work his miracles and perform his ministry by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then as he dies on the cross for our failings, our not measuring up to the glory of God, he pays the full penalty on the cross for our sins out of love for us. You get that? Out of love for his father, but then secondly, out of love for us. He dies physically. He's buried. The Holy Spirit raises him from the dead. And then as we hear that message I just gave to you and we heard in John 3.16, the Holy Spirit comes in with that message and he makes alive what is spiritually dead. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation for who? For everyone who believes. And you see, that's the love of God, friends. We need to see how much God has loved us before we can then begin to love Him with greater expansion, if you will. And listen, I would argue this. The more you see yourself in desperate need of the forgiveness of God, the more you will love Him because of His wholehearted embrace of you. He who has been forgiven much will love much. And so if you're like, yeah, I've been a pretty good person. I mean, I, you know, I've kept the laws. I've, I've never really stolen from anyone. I've never really treated anybody bad. My motives have been pure about 98% of the time. So you're going to give God about 2% love because you perform 98%. But listen, if you see yourself as spiritually bankrupt with nothing, poor in spirit, desperately in need of God, you will love much knowing that he wholeheartedly and fully embraces you, not because of you, but because of Jesus. That will increase your love for Christ. So how are you doing in reminding yourself of the gospel every day? Verse 6, these words I command you shall be on your heart. How can these words be on our hearts? Well, I think we need to remind ourselves of the gospel constantly, every day. You need to find out how the gospel relates to every situation, every hurt, every hang-up, every sin, every victory. You need to learn how the gospel applies and lays over top of that and gets into that like sugar gets into sweet tea. I love sweet tea. You need to. You must. Because if you don't, your love will not grow for God. But the more you see Jesus as glorious in your place, Listen, friends, when I can't rest at night because there's so much work that needs to be done, you know what I remind myself? It's just one application of the gospel. God, Jesus has worked in my place. And when I go to bed, Father, you are still working, and I can rest in Christ. 
Listen, if it's on us, we're in big trouble, guys. If this discipleship thing rests on us, if the discipling of our children, if this verse, this command here rests on us alone, we are in big trouble. Verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children. Now this diligent word in Hebrew means this, it's interesting. It means sharp or sharpen or like a point, like an arrow tip, a point. And so it means to teach diligently as to sharpen someone. So we are to take the commands of God and the love of God motivating, keeping commands, and we're to teach them diligently to our children. Does that remind you of anything Jesus said right before he ascended into heaven? Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. What? Teaching them to obey all I have commanded. That's making disciples. Making disciples is teaching them to obey all that Jesus has commanded. Look, you shall teach them what? The commands diligently to your children. And shall talk of them. So now, the second part here of verse 7 is method. Now, we like method. It's like, give me a one, two, three, four, five step plan. I love that, okay? So here it is. You shall talk of them. What? The commands. When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. That means all day and even at breakfast time when you're making coffee. You just constantly talk about God. So real quick story. This happened today. Uh, Before the quick story, here's a help. The little moments that are unexpected are the moments, guys. Like, Don't let the moments catch you off guard. Because if you're like, it's only going to happen in a Bible study, it's only going to happen in a church service, it's only going to happen at the appointed time. Listen, discipleship's an event for you. It's not a lifestyle. And listen, we are disciple makers, and it needs to be pervasive throughout our whole day. Did you see it? Look, talk of them when you sit in your house. That sounds like watching TV. Or on the computer surfing, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest. When you walk by the way, that's you walking around. Or how about walking was transportation? How about you driving around? Like in your car. Are you playing Little John all day while kids in the back? Or or are you playing gospel-centered material that will get into the heart of your child because there's been memorization and now you're playing it again so now there's meditation flowing to motivation what else and when you lie down that's going to bed and and for you kids who have route i'm sorry parents who have rowdy kids like mine we cannot get our daughter to sit for about 10 minutes even to do a devotional so guess when our time to do catechism is right before bed man Because as she's winding down, she's flipping and flopping, doing bicycle kicks under the covers, but yet she's answering the questions. And by about question seven, I'm going to bed, Dad. But you've got to find a time that works. If, If the time for you works only when they're strapped into the car and they can't get out, that's your time. you got to find when it works and make it work. Right? Okay. And when you get up, so that's breakfast. Listen, that means pervasiveness from morning to night. You have to be about this. And you say now, that sounds very tiring. And you know what? I agree. Without the Holy Spirit, you will be 
tired beyond what you can imagine. But listen, if the Holy Spirit is empowering you to do this, you can do this. That's why we did the first two messages on you got to make disciples by the power of the Holy Spirit and not by your own strength. You will fail. You will be exhausted. You will be tired. Verse 8, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and you shall, uh, they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Now this, some Jews took this literally and they literally made little bracelets and little headbands with little boxes with scripture in them. They're like, this is literal. We're doing this. It's not, it's not literal. It means your eyes see and your mind thinks and your hands do. The commands of God are to be all about in your head, what you're seeing, the way you're seeing the world. We're talking worldview here. And then your hands, what you do, what you put your hands to. Do your hands, are they instruments for sin or are they instruments for righteousness and the expansion of God's kingdom? Are they? Because that's what that means. Frontlets between your eyes, bind them as a sign on your hand. Notice a sign on your hand. What do signs do? They point to something else. What do they point to? Love for God. You will love God and prove you love God by the keeping of his commands. You'll prove it. Real quick though, we don't earn God's love by loving him. We love him because he first loved us, right? Okay. Verse 9. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now you ladies who love like home goods, now's your, this is your verse. Okay, all the scripture artwork, boom, that's you. This was foreseeing all that. What it means is your home should be a place where the commands of God, the law of God, the Bible is consistently and persistently spoken about, and it's just a norm. When you enter this gate to this house, we're about the Bible here. Now listen, we have scripture on our walls, but it wasn't because I was trying to fulfill verse 9. Okay, you'll see the Lord is my shepherd, it's on the wall, you'll see artwork with scripture, and you'll see screensavers and all that, but, but it's not necessarily because I think that's what verse 9 is saying. It means your home, where you live, where you dwell. Maybe you just have a room in someone else's house, but listen, in that room, what's going to rule in there? Huh? What's going to rule in there? Is it going to be uh, your mouse clicking on illicit sites? Is your, is your room or your house going to be a den of thieves and a place of darkness where sin is practiced and enjoyed? Or is it going to be a place where the light of the Word of God is just shining out the windows, shining out the doors, and whoever comes in says, yo, it's bright in here. What's it going to be? Now, as Eddie said, I'm not beating down any fathers right now. This is the challenging part that he spoke of. Listen, brothers, we cannot, brothers, all of you, fathers and men in this room, we cannot give in to our sinful tendencies and enjoy it and still be glorifying God. We can't. And how can we diminish the desire for sin? How? By loving God more and more and more. The more we love God, the less we will love sin. Listen, the more taste we have for God, His glory, and His word, the taste of sin begins to become weaker and weaker and weaker, and then it becomes disgusting. You taste it, and you're like, this tastes horrible. I never want to eat this again, ever. And then when you do, you remember, this tastes terrible, and you spit it out of your mouth. That's what we want. Sisters as well. Okay? So, teach diligent. Now, here's some practicalness. When it comes to catechism, here's some practicalness. 
We are all going to give to the men a New City Catechism flip booklet. This is from Truth For Life. Uh, they are our friends. This is Alistair Begg's ministry out of Cleveland, Ohio. They are a friend to Eternal City Church. In 2016, they sponsored three of us to go to their pastor and leaders conference all in the house. They fed us. They housed us. They took care of our conference price. They gave us free books. It was awesome. We love Truth For Life. Okay? And, and so we want to give to you a New City Catechism flip book. And every day has one of the new questions. It has the adult answer and it has the kids answer. This is coming to every guy in here, 18 and above tonight. So what do we do? Here's some practicalness of how these things can work. There are, and this is from, um, this is from the New City Catechism devotional, which is put out by Crossway. I would highly encourage all of you to get this. But if you're like man, I only got enough money for lunch tomorrow. NewCityCatechism.com has all the material in here for free. Just go to it and read it online. But if you're like me and you like to hold pages and flip through pages and get the book. But out of this book, Tim Keller writes these practical how-tos. You ready? You listening? How-to. There are a variety of ways to commit texts to memory. Now, we're going to have a whole message on Scripture memory coming in this series. A whole message, but this is an appetizer. There are a variety of ways to commit text to memory, and some techniques, techniques suit certain learning styles better than others. For example, listen, read the question and answer out loud and repeat, repeat, repeat. So you just read it out loud. This is sitting in your bathroom, which is where mine is. So every time I'm brushing my teeth, I see it. I read it. I'm in the bathroom a lot. I read this a lot. Repeat, repeat, repeat. Wherever you are the most, maybe it's not the bathroom for you, put it in the fridge, guys. If you go in the fridge all the time, you open it up, boom, you go to get some milk, New City Catechism right there where the milk used to lie. It's fantastic. Repeat, repeat, repeat. Here's another one. Read the question and answer out loud, then try to repeat it without looking. Then repeat. Number three, record yourself saying all part one questions and answers, then part two, then part three, and listen to them during everyday activities such as workouts, chores, and so on. And as you know, we took this one serious. Every person who wanted to be involved, we recorded the whole New City Catechism. The first series of one through five will be online tonight with this message. And then uh, 6 through 52 will appear in five question increments so that you can listen and memorize these questions and answers. Okay, so they'll, they'll appear tonight online, New City, uh, I'm sorry, eternalcity.org. Go to the New City Catechism first, one through five questions, all recorded by you and me, will be on there for us to memorize. Here's another one. Write the questions and answers on cards and tape them in a conspicuous area. Read them aloud every time you see them. Make flashcards with the questions on one side and the answer on the other. And test yourself. Write out the question and answer. Repeat. The process of writing helps a person's ability to recall text. Did you know that? Writing helps you to recall. Writing helps you to recall. Drill the question and answers with one another as often as possible. And I thought this one was interesting. Did you know that movement is also connected with memory? Did you know that? So like you can walk around and read the question and answers to yourself and that will literally help your mind to remember. This is how this works for me. I listen to a lot of audio books and audio teachings and lectures. When I'm driving through places, 
not listening to anything, all of a sudden the place, the setting, the scenery reminds me of the message I heard in that place. It's a real thing. It burns into your memory as you move around. Movement helps memory. So number three, and now they're going to move fast. Why adults and children should practice catechism? Well, many of our fathers and mothers did not, as we've already discussed. But this one, listen guys, this one is deeply, deeply rooted in Scripture. Every one of these questions has Scripture attached to it. And then on the website and in the, um, the devotional, this is also a resource if you're a hands-on type of person. Crossway puts it out. There's commentary on every question, deeply rooted in Scripture. Okay, th- this is, in my opinion, n- no hating on the Westminster guys in here or the Heidelberg guys in here or the Geneva guys in here, but in my opinion, this is the most updated. It's rooted in Scripture. It's got fantastic commentary. Why not try the New City Catechism? So here's what we want. We want all of you, all of you, this is the why we're doing it, why adults and children should practice. We want all of our people to have a clear and concise biblical worldview. All of you. We want you to look at the world through the lens of Scripture. So as you think about yourself, we want you to think male and female, made in God's image to glorify Him. When we say... How can we glorify God? Well, we want you to answer, at least my daughter would answer, hey, hey, Addie, how can we glorify God? She would say, by loving Him and by obeying His commands and laws. It's one of the questions and answers. It's so simple. Your mind puts categories and files to scriptural concepts, ideas, and truths, and then you see the world with a massive foundation underneath your feet. We want you all to have a biblical worldview. Men, women, and children will get a solid foundation to protect them from false worldviews and error if they will but learn, if you will but learn these 52 questions and answers. Kids version, adult version. Okay, for example, question two for children. What is God? God is the creator of everyone and everything. Question three, how many persons are there in God? There are three persons in one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That one for me has been massive for my daughter because she just can't understand how Jesus is God and the Father is God, but yet the Holy Spirit's God. And so she, she, the same question all the time, is Jesus God? And I say, I say to her this, I say, how many persons are there in God? And she goes, oh, there are three persons in one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I say, that's right. There are three distinct persons, but there's only one God. We have reverted to that question many, many, many times. My daughter's six. What's happening to her? She is being formed with a Christian and biblical worldview, guys. We want you to have a Christian and biblical worldview. The the adult answer is a bit longer, but it's basically the same. Question four, how and why did God create us? For our culture in 2017, this is controversial, controversial, and massively countercultural. You say, how could catechisms be countercultural? Well, listen to the answer. How and why did God create us? God created us male and female in his own image to glorify him. How dare you call my biology my gender? You don't think that's a real thing? That's a real thing in our culture. And it's making its way into just normal society. So when you teach your child, what am I? Well, I'm a male. 
I'm a female made in God's image. He gets to decide what gender I am. That doesn't mean we hate on transgender people or gender-confused people or questioning people. We love on those people. But listen, when you give your child a biblical worldview, they're not confused. I sat in a gospel-centered community with a woman who did not have a biblical worldview. And she is in the medical field, and she was about to take her nurse test. And listen, the medical field is so confused in this area. They have no idea what to teach because it changes every week. There's no solidness. And I said to her, how do you expect clarity from people who themselves are confused? And it blew her mind. Yet, if you have a biblical worldview through the catechism, and if you will give that biblical worldview to your children, rooted in Genesis 1, 27, male and female, in God's image, what? For what? To glorify Him. Simple, but profound and super countercultural. How can we glorify God? Well, if we were made to glorify God, and if that's why we exist, and that's why we're here, and if the problem with sin is that we all fall short of God's glory, we should probably know how we can glorify Him. Right? Okay, well, the answer is for kids by loving him and by obeying his commands and laws. Sounds a lot like Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9, doesn't it? it sure does. Verse 7, or question 7, and we're done. This is the one where my daughter is absolutely stuck. She cannot get past question 7. And so we just are on question 7. And I would encourage the same for you. If you're stuck on 18, don't move to 19 until you get 18. So what's question 7? How does, uh, I'm sorry, what does the law of God require? What does the law of God require? Well, children's answer is that we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. Now, if you will get the app, I'm going to show you something real quick here. This is the newcitycatechism.com. So you'll see there the introduction, books, web app, mobile apps, videos. If you go to the web app section on the internet site, there's songs, children's songs. And so all day today, I kept saying to my daughter in song form, I'm not going to sing for you because I am not gifted like Eddie. What does the law of God require? That we love God with all... That's all, that's all I got. That we love God with all our heart. And then she chimes in with all our heart, soul, mind. And it's burning into her memory through song. Listen, guys, there is so... Listen, you've heard of being pitched a softball. Men, this is a beach ball being pitched to you. You can hit this. The songs are here. The app is here. The books are here. The devotionals are here. The flip book is here. Listen, if you drop the ball, it's on you guys. This is a beach ball being pitched to you, and you got a Louisville slugger, okay? This is a beach ball. Why fathers should lead in catechizing. There's the books I showed you. There's the mobile app. The mobile app is, is also really, really helpful. So Android and Apple, get, get, the, get the app, okay? Real quick, and we're done. Fathers are made to lead, Fathers are made to lead. Now listen, this is also massively counter-cultural. Massively counter-cultural. 
Because, listen, in our egalitarian society and in our really, really hyper-feminist society, for anyone to even say that a man should lead is, how dare you, that's hate speech, you're a bigot, we need to bring you down. Okay? And if you haven't seen it yet, read the New York Times. <laughs> read blog posts. You'll see it. Okay? But listen, what does the Bible actually say about men and fathers leading? What does it actually say? Not what we think it says, what, not what society thinks we mean when we say fathers and men should lead. What does it actually say? Well, it, in Ephesians 6, 1-4, it says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. What's the promise? Verse 3, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. You want it to go well, children? Honor your father and mother so that it may go well with you. And then here's the instruction to fathers, brothers. Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. So our discipling and our disciplining should not induce anger. We should not push on them and press on them and prod them until they're angry. Rather, rather, we should bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So the fathers are to lead in the home. But listen, Ephesians 5, speaking of husbands and wives, the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. That means that the husband is to lead his wife by dying for her. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her. That means that, listen, when the father leads, he's also to lead like Christ. And what, how did Christ lead? He gave up himself. He died to his own desires. He was tired, and yet he kept obeying for the sake of his brothers and sisters. He obeyed even when it was uh, almost impossible to do in the Garden of Gethsemane. All for us. It was self-sacrifice. That's how men are to lead. That's how fathers are to lead, by sacrificing themselves. Listen, guys, discipleship of your children is not going to be convenient. It's going to be massively inconvenient. But listen, listen to me. On your deathbed, brothers, you're not going to say to yourself, man, I wish I would have kept up on the penguins better. Man, I wish I would have kept up on the pirates better. Man, I wish I would have watched more cage fighting or boxing. I love you guys. I'm not talking to you directly. <laughs> Man, I wish I would have kept up on, on all the Netflix series that are my favorite. No, you're going to say, I dropped the ball with my kids, and I dropped the ball with my discipleship relationships, and I should have read the Bible more, and I should have been closer to God because now I'm about to meet him and I barely know him. That's what you're going to regret. But listen, in the day-to-day, -day, it seems so normal to pay attention to everything else and to totally neglect discipleship, does it not? For yourself and then for others. It's like, Dad, it's 9.30. I haven't even read today. I haven't even prayed today. I surely didn't talk to anybody about Christ today. I'm speaking to myself as well. I know how hard it is because I am just like you. We need to be intentional, friends. Fathers especially, we need to be intentional. Okay, and the last question, then we're done, is the gospel has to be central to our catechizing. Why? Because we will fail mightily. 
Listen, if the gospel is not central to this, what are we talking about? Discipleship through catechizing. If the gospel is not central to your catechizing, you will be miserable. You will be down. You will want to give up. You will say, no more. I can't do this. This is too weighty. But listen, if the gospel is central to your catechizing, you're okay. Because your failures are already taken care of. Jesus won in your place. Jesus was the perfect disciple maker in your place, friends. So when you fail, you can get back up. When you fail, you can get back up. Why? Because Jesus was already perfect in your place. And He already paid the price for your failure. Your failure to glorify Him. By loving Him and by keeping His commands. And then teaching others to do the same, which is discipleship. He's already paid the price, friends. So listen, you can move forward in discipleship out of victory already. Do you understand that? The test is now not, you better try and you better not fail. Jesus already succeeded in your place and you can work out of success. You can work from His victory in your place. You don't have to perform to earn His favor. You already have it. Christ is well-pleasing to the Father in your place, men and women. And now, He has given you the great gift of His Holy Spirit to empower you for this Deuteronomy 6 that we just saw. He will give you the strength to do this by His Spirit. He does not say, do this for me, and I'm watching, and I'm keeping track of all your failures. No. All of our failures have already been kept track, and they've already been put on Christ, friends. He paid them all. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And so we can work and disciple and catechize and train up our children in the way they should go out of victory and out of success. It's good news, friends. And we're going to celebrate that good news right now by celebrating the Lord's Supper. So we're going to remember what Jesus has done. We celebrate communion every single week because the gospel and Jesus Christ are central to the entire Bible. And we want to remember him every time we gather.